From the Heart podcast is presented by Orange Kiwi Consulting. The three most challenging transitions owners face, scale, sale, and succession, often result in a costly and confusing journey, but it doesn't have to be that way. Orange Kiwi helps their clients succeed where others fail by navigating the challenges others can't. Find out how Orange Kiwi helps you avoid the costly and confusing journey to realize the results you're looking for with less stress and more satisfaction. Visit their website, orangekiwillc.com. Choose Contact Us. Enter the promo code HLG2020 for a complimentary 30-minute consultation. Hi, I'm Kara Golden, and I'm the founder and CEO of Hint, best known for its unsweetened flavored water and also the Wall Street Journal and Amazon best-selling author of Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. And I'm here today on the From the Heart podcast. I'm very excited to be here. Kara, thank you so much. It's great to see you and meet you. We've connected and we've emailed and text messaged and I've been, uh, yeah, we're both reaching for our bottle of Hint Water right now as we speak, become exactly. uh, fans right away. So first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. Can you tell me and tell our audience just a little bit about, well, about yourself, your, where you are and how, I guess we'll get right into just the origins of, of yeah. Hint itself, because that the success of the company is what's led into now the book and the podcast and everything else. So I'd love to hear kind of the why behind Hint Water. Yeah. So I, uh, I live up in the Bay Area in San okay. Francisco, just outside of San Francisco in Marin County. And I started my company just a little over 15 years ago now. I can't even believe it. Uh, and I, I did it really out of this, this problem that I saw that I was having around health. So uh, I had gained a bunch of weight over the course of three pregnancies at that point. I have four kids now. But, uh, but for me, it was, um, it was not just the weight. It was also my energy levels, my skin had developed terrible adult acne, which I didn't even have as a teenager. And I just didn't feel like myself. And so when I figured out, I was looking at all the things that I was eating and that seemed relatively okay um, after you know spending a little bit of time on that. But the, the one day I had this diet soda, Diet Coke in particular, that was sitting right in front of me in my kitchen and I happened to look down at the label, the ingredients label. And I don't think I ever read an ingredient label. I had started, you know, a few weeks before then really looking at the food, but I had never read what I had been drinking. And I sort of joked, I, I thought, gosh, I probably care more about what I'm putting in my car than I do my own body. I just never had really made that connection. And and again, I didn't know if it was going to work, but I had been going through this process of elimination just to try and get to the, get to the heart of it. And that's when I just, I, I said, I'm just not going to drink this for a couple of weeks, this Diet Coke and see what will happen and put it to the side and just continued, uh, uh, really started drinking plain water because I was super thirsty. And then I, I started asking myself why I didn't drink water more often. And the answer was clear. It was boring. It didn't Doesn't taste have, good. Yeah. yeah it doesn't have that yeah, flavor that we like. It didn't taste bad, but it right. just was like, oh, it's so boring. 
So I started slicing up fruit and throwing it in the water and thinking that's really all I need. And about two and a half weeks into living this way and really not changing anything in the food that I was eating, but just giving up my Diet Coke, that's when I lost 24 pounds Mm -hmm. in two and a half weeks. I had uh, all my skin issues had cleared up and my energy levels went significantly higher. And that's when I really was like, gosh, this is so interesting how I had really been kind of tricked and fooled and marketed to believed that diet actually equated to health. And I looked around at, you know, the diet soda industry as a whole and the soda industry too. But again, looking at diet, I just had no idea how big it was and how, you know, probably there's a lot of other people that are fooled that really think of it as, as healthy. And so that's when I, I went grocery shopping, this new store, Whole Foods had just opened in the, in San Francisco Bay area. And I figured there has to be a ready to drink product that just has fruit and water. And I didn't have anything against carbonation, but really didn't right. want to have the carbonation because I felt You're starting like, to look at labels now and you're realizing I don't want all those preservatives and all that other saccharin and other stuff. Yeah. In there that, yeah. But also with the carbonated waters, there were some carbonated waters that had fruit in them. They had a lot more sodium in them. But yeah. the uh, but the key thing was, I thought if I'm going to drink eight glasses of water a day, it, like all those bubbles, I'm just not going to be able to do it. <laughs> yeah. So that's when I just, I was shocked. And probably another six months, I looked around at other stores. I couldn't find this product that was still water, no sweeteners at all. Uh, with fruit in it. And I thought, gosh, maybe while I'm just trying to figure out what I'm ultimately going to do, maybe I should try and get a product on the shelf at Whole Foods. I just thought it'd be really fun and kind of interesting. And I'd be, I don't know, it would, I think I was also going through this period of time where uh, prior to launching Hint, I was a tech executive and I was with a company called America Online that many heard of it yeah. familiar with yeah. and I was there very early on and was actually with a startup prior to that that was a Steve Jobs idea that was at Apple and I didn't work for Apple or Steve Jobs but I worked for a little, the startup that actually had spun out of a project at Apple and uh, worked with these four guys who had had worked at Apple and I was hired in to run their business development and deal with uh, their product was essentially retailers, putting retailers on a CD, on a disc. And Steve Jobs' idea was if you could put all the graphics onto a disc and tell the consumer to insert the disc into the machine, this is in <laughs> the mid 90s, that it wouldn't matter what the speed of the internet was. And so I had read about this idea in the Wall Street Journal, and uh, I had been following Steve for years, ever since college. I just right. thought he, he's way ahead of it, but he's so interesting. And so that's when I just thought when I moved to Silicon Valley from New York, I thought, gosh, it'd be really cool just to you know go and talk to these people who are doing this if they will talk to me. I just wasn't afraid to sort of cold call them and see if they would. And then they ended up hiring me. Hmm. America Online was an investor. They acquired us. And uh, suddenly I'm running this team of people that is basically charged with doing 
uh, e-commerce and what is now known, I guess, as direct to consumer. Sure. So I'm leading this effort. Um, nobody ever thought it was going to be, you know, big. It ended up to be a billion dollars in revenue to AOL by the time, um, by the end of year seven. And that's when I decided that it was ready or it was time for me to kind of go back to San Francisco. I had been commuting to DC and really all over the US. I was traveling like crazy. And at some point I, you know, was able to have three children along Gotta the grow way. Roots but, somewhere, right? Yeah. So, but yeah. but I just felt like for me it was um, you know, it was it was really kind of a life decision too that I felt like I really wanted to see my kids when they were young. They had four kids under under the age of um, or excuse me, three kids under the age of four. And I wanted to watch them kind of grow up. Sure. But after a couple of years, I was getting itchy. I wanted to, I lived in Silicon Valley. I had a lot of friends in tech. So I kept thinking that I really wanted, or it made the most sense, I should say, yeah. for me to go into tech. But I, I talk a lot about, you know, really kind of the feelings that I had back then, which unfortunately I couldn't really articulate at, at the time, but I think that the key thing that I really felt like I was missing was this learning piece, especially towards the end of my tenure with AOL, that I had been on this, you know, huge hockey stick with AOL and huge growth in, in the 90s. And then by the end of kind of year seven, it, you know, it naturally kind of slowed down. Sure. And there wasn't, you know, sort of this this crazy growth thing that was going on. And instead I was managing uh, a couple hundred people all over the U S and, you know, doing before even a pandemic where people were sure. working virtually, I was used to doing that, but I felt like um, the key thing that I was missing personally was this, this thing that now I, I look at as, as really a human need, which is just this ability to be kind of educated, no matter what your level is. When you mm -hmm. get to be a manager today, it seems like you're, you're less in a role of learning and in more in a role of managing and of, you know, helping people signing off on things. And it yeah. just continues to decrease as you go higher up on the chain. And what I really um, sort of counsel people and, and guide people in, in as their career grows is never stop learning because sure. that's, that's something that I think is, uh, really the key to happiness and, and certainly the, what I've seen and, and really successful people who are truly happy is that they're always learning. And anyway, the, the long and short of it is, is that when I had this problem around health and I saw this, this need and, I had identified this problem, but also had an idea on how to fix it. I think that that was just so exciting for me because suddenly I'm in this very uncomfortable place where it was very scary. I was no longer um, the expert. I was the student, right? Now, and, now, now the time to learn as you're talking right, about. Absolutely. Right. Sure. So it was, um, so I think that that, so the combination of, of really, the importance of health kind of cropping up in my own life yeah. and, and really wanting to go and do something with it. But then also uh, this craving for, for, you know, really wanting to learn. And I mean, call it the, 
stupidest one in the room, right? Or, <laughs> or whatever you want to, you know, I really wanted to, to, to learn. And, and, and I think that that was also, I knew a lot and I mm -hmm. had been successful in, in my other roles, but I think that this was an industry that I still look around and, and say, this is crazy. I mean, yeah. it's just, it, there was no rule book. There was no, it, it was, I remember asking early on, uh, I not only wanted to produce a product using real fruit, but one that had uh, no preservatives in it. And so finally, when I got to a, uh, somebody who would co-pack the product and make it, I, I kept saying, I don't want to have a product with preservatives in it. And they would say, well, we can't do that. Are you going to ship I, it and have it sit on a shelf and sit in someone's pantry for a month before they drink well, it, Well, exactly. Right? But, yeah. but the answer was, we can't. And I would say, why? And in some ways, I had permission to say why, because they would also... Know. They also knew you didn't know, right? Right. Well, they would yeah. size me up because mm -hmm. they'd say, oh, did you, you know, used to work at... Pepsi or I mean, right. what drove you to do yeah. this? And I would share with them about my story. And some people were like, there's the door. I don't think this is going to go anywhere. Hence the subtitle of my book, The Doubters, right. right? I already had my own doubts, but suddenly they're sharing how uh, they thought I wasn't going to be able to be successful. But in addition to that, what I found was because I didn't have the experience and I was asking why they saw that I was just curious. And sadly, I would say greater than 50% of those people who would say no would, would just, um, would really look at, you know, would look at what I was asking and, and not be interested, not be curious to ultimately go and try and solve that problem. But a few of them would be like, oh, you know, I don't know the answer to that. And mm. then I would go, I would, it, I would continue going on. So I think it was actually a benefit sure. coming from a different industry because I guess if I would have worked in beverage, right, they would. Yeah. Or if you were be, a grad student and you were there to do a research project, yeah. obviously a lot of people want to share their story because they want to help and mentor. Let me take you back for just one second. So I stopped drinking soda about three and a half years ago, very similar health issues. And just didn't feel good with all the diet soda I was drinking. Same as what you said. Mm -hmm. um, so I started just drinking water and I'll still drink a lot of water, but like you, it's like, you just got to have some taste from time to time. And that's mm -hmm. millions of people's story right there. So let me go back to a term I've heard you talk about in your book and other interviews and on your podcast, you use the term accidental entrepreneur. Talk to me about so not all of us got sick of drinking soda and started drinking water and then started a $150 million company. <laughs> you did. What was that process of where you thought, okay, I'm slicing fruit and throwing it into the water in my kitchen and it tastes good to where you thought this could be more than just me. Yeah. This could be a company. Tell us about that. Well, I, so I, I call myself an accidental entrepreneur because I, I wasn't, the person that always knew I would be an entrepreneur right. or start a company and certainly not a beverage company. I had started out in media and as I mentioned before, went into tech and, uh, and then had this idea based on my own health issues that I was trying to solve. But for me, I think it was, uh, it, it was just a, a lot of little trials along mm -hmm. the way. Again, I, I wasn't thinking of it as a company. I was slicing up fruit to right. satisfy myself, but 
that, but you know, it's, it, it's interesting. I think about when I moved from New York to Silicon Valley and ended up really stumbling upon the startup that I mentioned that after I had been following um, Steve Jobs and some of his stuff that he was doing for years, I think that's when I really realized like it, it was such a different culture and such a different environment than what I was used to working at sure. in New York. I started out at time. It was very buttoned up. It was um, very Ivy League. I was not an Ivy League um, <laughs> student. And uh, and then I worked for kind of a startup, but a little bit later um, startup at CNN. And so um, I, I feel like it, all, my entire journey kind of now when you look back made now it makes total sense that I would I was getting this education and different stage started. We can see the steps that led us here when we're looking back, but it's hard to see the steps totally. going forward. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. But, but when I moved out to Silicon Valley and there's four guys, we weren't in a garage, but we, but I mean, it was, it was a tiny office that was pathetic. I mean, and so many fronts, but the fact that ideas came from anywhere you know, we'd order pizza for lunch. Everybody was mm -hmm. sharing. It was kind of sure. like, are there any plates around? Yeah, I mean, it was just, yeah. it was chaotic versus what I was accustomed to. And what I found was I kind of liked it yeah. and I was sort of digging it, but I also felt like un, very different from the situation I had been in in New York, the the concept of ideas coming from everywhere, anywhere, um, was, was really, really new to me and, and how they, how they didn't have it figured out. And even when I got to AOL and it wasn't a brand new startup, when they acquired us, um, we, they were, I mean, they were adding thousands of people a week to mm -hmm. the organization. So, seeing a company go through hyper growth is something that I've also mentioned to um, so many entrepreneurs. It's just, it's hard to describe it. What happens, yeah. you know, one day when you're, you know, you're in an office, you in San Francisco, and then you go back to Virginia where it was just all these people getting added. It's, it's chaos. I mean, half the time people are just so focused on just trying to like say hi, I, it, there's just a lot of new people constantly and that has its own issues. But again, I, I, I feel like I had seen so many different things sure. along the way that, that I also maybe even got kind of a burst of confidence a little bit to know that nobody really knows what they're doing. And it, it, like in these startups in terms of forming it, you know, forming the culture, forming, um, it starts with the founder and the vision and the sure. problem. And, and so I think I had a lot of those, uh, I think it was the perfect background to be able to start my own company, but certainly didn't think it was going to be the case. What has surprised you? And you said it's been 15 years and at the beginning, wow, it's been 15 years, which probably feels like a lifetime some mornings and like just yesterday, other days, has anything surprised you about the popularity and the success of Hint? I mean, obviously, I'm guessing a lot of your the people who drink it, like myself, and how you started is like we just want an alternative. But is there anything that you've looked back at? Wow, I did not see that coming. You know, it, it's something I think about uh, this year on a lot of not just as as far as Hint or 
um, you know, as the industry as a whole. But I feel like the pandemic has really sped up a lot of industries. And I think health is one that is much more top of mind for people today who are, you know, really not wanting to be exposed right to this crazy virus and and i think that gosh i would say 15 years ago when i started this company i mean i i had the the fast early adapters who adopters who were uh, buying our product at whole foods um we had a email on our bottle and an 800 number Mm -hmm. which we still do today and that was, I mean, I was, I had never done that before on a product where I'd call or email. And I mean, we, day one of selling at Whole Foods, <laughs> consumers were like, where have you been? You know, this is amazing. Yeah. How and do I get more of this now? How do I get more of this? And so we had some of those people, but not a lot, but we had some. And I thought, gosh, the fact that they're actually taking that extra action, we probably have 10 times more right? Yeah. That that just didn't go to the effort to do this. And so for me having, I had these people that were giving me early feedback mm-hmm. and I just thought immediately I have to find out where all those people are. But when you, we've continued to grow through the years and we've never had a down year in sales. I mean, we've yeah. continued to grow, but this year, I mean, it's, it's our hockey stick and it's, it's crazy. And, you know, the fact that I think we've been really fortunate because the fact that during a pandemic um, we're an essential product. And so Mm -hmm. um, that's sold at an essential store because all the grocery stores are booming for the most part. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's um, yes. The problem with grocery is that the, uh, the, the, electronic data transmissions that go mm-hmm. from like the cash register to the shelves. There was all kinds of problems that went on that even the consumer didn't even hear about. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was it the the stores had not seen the volume ever. Right. right. And, and, and that I know of as long as data has been in place. I mean, March and April for stores was just mm-hmm. chaos. And oh, they yeah. and and so we knew it. We knew that there was like a problem because we knew we had stock in the warehouses, but it wasn't making it to the shelf because it wasn't, you know, creating an order um, sure. that, that we were getting. And so we immediately saw that there was a problem, even when the buyers weren't admitting it to us. And so we would call up the buyers and say, hey, we have product in the warehouse. Can we bypass this distribution center and just send it? send a truckload in and like 50% of our buyers said, sure. Like no, I'm like, you don't even have to explain what's going on. Right. I know what's going on. And again, I think sort of having that previous experience and data, I knew that there, we were making predictions and we were right. But I think, I think that that was anyway, the net of it is, is that 2020 for us, just really hockey sticked, um, I believe, because uh, we also had a direct-to-consumer business set up for the, mm-hmm. the last seven years. And 
you know, while we wanted to support stores and we did support stores, we also told the consumer because we had that relationship with them that they could just go online and order from us directly. And again, we had no idea kind of how long this thing would last and what ultimately would happen with stores, et cetera. But when consumers started trying one, frankly, we had so much information, but nobody was kind of solving the problem for consumers. I I believe consumers sat there and said, I got to stay healthy. I feel like in March, people were joking around on social media about, you know, how many cocktails am I going to have tonight? I, yeah, I don't we have to go to work tomorrow. We were counting the quarantine tomorrow. in days. I remember seeing these in memes days. day number six. It's like, really? And now we're at day, what, one? Yeah, and they were saying know, like, yeah. you know, like cookies and snacks and people yeah. were talking about gaining weight. And then all of a sudden people are like, I got to get serious here yeah. about yeah. this thing and I got to take care of myself. And I believe most people started you know, hiking and walking and just to kind of get out of the house and get some normalcy. But with it, I think people, I think people got healthier and people started figuring out that, Mm -hmm. you know, they just don't want to get sick and they want to keep their immune system up. And so who would have thunk that it (laughs) would have taken, yeah, right. A pandemic to kind of speed this up. I mean, you look at technology, even Zoom, right? right? That I I believe that it was it was here, but yep. the fact that people had to use it, I and so again, I think that there's there's pieces of that where where I I certainly didn't expect. I wouldn't have said a huge you know crisis like we've been in for 2020 would actually. Um, you know, take an industry by storm. But I have to believe that health is such a top top priority for people. And the people, the companies, whether it's like a Peloton or, um, you know, a water company. Pelotons are selling like hotcakes. It's the thing I hear about on almost every Zoom call. Yeah. And especially if you have a way to go direct to consumer. Right. At home. That's a whole other piece. Oh, yeah. Because any company that's doing that now, I mean, we all, we're all shopping online. Everybody has an app where they, I mean, after this, I'm sure at some point today, I'll order food from somewhere that, you know, doesn't go through a distributor. Yeah, it might be one of the food deliveries, but I know a lot of the restaurants are, are asking you not to use those in particular because they, you know, it cuts out the middleman and the cost. If you can just go right to the restaurant and they deliver, or you can yeah. do curbside pickup and things that are, are necessary now in 2020 will probably become the norm as we go forward, I would imagine. Yeah, totally. And, so, and again, did I think that, you know, back in 15 a year ago, years ago or, or even, even a year, year ago. ago? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, never would have, never would have thought about that. In fact, you know, one thing that I frequently say to entrepreneurs, I, I, you know, hate to hate to uh, give away my secrets even before I talk to entrepreneurs, but I always laugh if there's a line in there when they're going to like, you know, sell the company for billions of dollars or, you know, yeah. cause it's always like oh, in a couple of years, you know, and yeah. it all takes way longer. Right. I mean, it's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, that quickly. And, and again, I, I think that this is just a, it's just a great example of, I've always um, learned, I, I would say I haven't always thought, but I've, I've learned that things just take longer than yeah. you ever think. And oh, absolutely. Uh, 
right? But that and law of threes is going to take three times as long. It will. It's going to cost three times as much. You're going to make a third. I think that I've heard a lot and I've shared this with a lot of my students. I get a chance to, to work with a lot of college students too. Uh, in strategic planning, we always talk about an exit strategy. When are you going to mm -hmm. get out of the business and so forth? One thing that I'm hearing people talk about now is what's your pandemic plan? Not that we anticipate another pandemic, you know, knock on wood, but I think we're all now thinking, I know you're thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. Everybody I talk to with the family businesses that I work with, it seems like it comes up a lot that, okay, next time there's something big like this. Yeah, we've been through a recession. We've been through downtimes in the economy. But I think companies have to really be thinking in terms of when we have a mass, if we were to have a massive pandemic again, COVID-26, whatever we want to call it, and I don't want to make light of it by any stretch, hopefully we will be a little bit more prepared. Because I think what's, what shocked me was three or four weeks into this, how everybody was just hemorrhaging, how yeah. quickly it hit so, so deep and so hard. And so I applaud you for the fact that you've had this hockey stick growth that you're talking about. You figured it out early. You figured out we got to get our product right to the consumer. I know you had hiccups and I'm going to ask about yeah. that in a second, but go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say we did, we did have hiccups, but I was really proud of my team as a whole. And I, and I can't even say that you know, I or any of them would say like we did things because we were planning for a pandemic, but right. things like, um, you know, because our product doesn't have preservatives in it, we, uh, we've always filled our room or filled our bottles in a, um, you know, very enclosed room that has very few people in it. Yeah. And our chief operating officer, who happens to be my husband as nice. well, has always been saying for for years, uh, he said, you know, the ultimate goal is to get everybody out of the room and have the entire process when we fill the bottle be automated because we don't use preservatives. If there's any, you know, if somebody has a little bit of a cold or they have, a, yeah. you know, whatever, something can come in and be, and you know, and grow mold and, and, sure. grow, and we're always testing, we're huge filtrations, pasteurization, yeah, anything can all these contaminate things. it, ruins it. So yeah, anything. Sure, and, yeah. and so, you know, we got down to a point by last summer where it was like one person was in the room. And so it was like, he's like, Nope, we're, we're, we're going for there. zero. Yeah. You know, we're almost there. Yeah. And we were like, okay, come on. Like this is this is really tough, and then we finally got to that point where there's no people in the room when we're filling the product by the end of 2019 in December. So, when this pandemic hit, and we're actually regulated by the FDA because we use real fruit, yeah. and unlike other beverage company or other water companies, I should say, because that's regulated by the state, and if you're not using food fruit um, in your product, then you're you're just yeah. regulated by the state and you don't have sure. FDA. So when the FDA started looking around for potential COVID problems in March, they, uh, you know, they went in and out of our plant because they were like, there's no people in yeah. the room. So this doesn't mean oh, there's other people. There's yeah, they're like, where's all the people? Chicken, they're walking around going, who's going to run this machine? And, yeah, yeah. And everybody else. But I think that that just, that spoke to the fact that we didn't have any hiccups in our manufacturing or yeah. in our supply chain. And so ultimately we were able to really grow this business the way that we wanted. We were already expecting a big year for 2020. We were taking, bringing on Walmart and Sam's club and Aldi and some massive retailers, but, uh, but 
then we were able to, you know, really grow the e-commerce. We had lost, uh, we had a huge business, huge for us. It was like 15% of our overall business was um, food service. So corporate right. food service, like the Googles and the Facebooks. And obviously that business, mm -hmm. they all closed down when offices closed down. Uh, but we immediately uh, just looked at sort of what we could control. And that was our direct to consumer business. And we said the retailers, that business, it's going to be what it's going to be. It's got issues that are going on. We'll do our best to, you know, support and, and do what we can to solve these problems. But let's just focus on throwing the gas on, on our direct to consumer business. So that we were able to do, yeah. you know, right away. And, um, but then in, in April, I think mid-April, we got a phone call from Costco. This was really interesting. Another one that we didn't predict at all, but they said, hey, we're really having a hard time is a lot of these beverage companies actually get their cans from Asia because the majority of um, aluminum actually comes from Asia. And so we don't use aluminum for other reasons, mm -hmm. um, but... But basically, um, they just weren't getting their shipments. And so they, um, they said, we heard you do everything in the US. And, um, and just to sort of give, give people a, a little bit of glimpse, um, in case sure. you forget, like these factories in other parts of the world were shutting down at different times. And so, um, and earlier than the U.S. And so, those shipments weren't going out the door. Right. And so, uh, and so that really affected um, U.S. companies who yeah. were. Yeah. So now there's an opportunity for you because you can get product so faster. And yeah. And so, because we were ready to go, and I can't say that it wasn't stressful on our sure. team and our manufacturing, but we said, okay, well, do we? You know, Costco wants us. They want to take us nationwide in June. Um, which is really unusual. Usually you have to go out to all the different regions and they yeah. just said, we're going to like flip the switch. So we did. So we went nationwide with them in uh, probably by the end of June, which was amazing. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was super, you know, super great. Yep. Necessity is the mother of invention and certainly there was a need and, and uh, you've been able to respond to that. So uh, kudos to you and your team for being able to do that. I know we don't have a ton of time together today and we haven't even touched on the book yet. And I've got a million more questions, Kara, yeah. that I could ask you. And I, I hope that we can do a part two at some point of this because yeah, for sure. I want to die. You're the youngest of five. I'm the youngest of five. My wife is the youngest of five. There's dynamics there. I was on a workshop this morning where we talked about that a little bit. Um, so many places we could go. I love the story of your dad and your mom. And I love the just a lot of your background and you love people. One of the things that came up uh, as I was reading your book that I learned about you is like me, you're not afraid to talk to anybody and reach out to anybody. I didn't, mm -hmm. You didn't know me from Adam. I reached out and here we are talking and yeah. you reached out to an exec at Coke and you've reached out as you talked about to all these other folks. So I think there's some great lessons there for you and, and we'll promote your book here momentarily, but um I guess the question that pops up for me is the why you, you've a lot of us have had the idea and the inspiration to start a company and didn't do it. A lot of us have had the thought of writing a book and didn't do it or haven't done it yet. You've done both. So mm -hmm. now let's go into undaunted. I love the book. I, anytime I interview anybody, I, I try to read their book if I can. I, I got yours a few weeks ago and it didn't take me long to go right through it. Um, so many nuggets in there. And if I had another two hours, I'd probably go page by page with you because there's so much cool stuff. And I hope everybody listening Thank and you. watching today will, will buy it and we'll link to it so you can. Um, 
So why the inspiration to write it and just take us through a little bit about, you know, when you had that, that prompting and followed it and, and just anywhere you want to go with the book. It's just, I mean, there's so much to talk about yeah. in this little time. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so the book's called Undaunted Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. And it, I call myself an accidental entrepreneur, but I'm also an accidental author because I know a lot of people have uh, being an author on their bucket list, not right. that there's anything wrong with it. I didn't, I, and even though I was a journalism major and, uh, you know, worked in, in editorial um, roles, I, I, I just had no idea that this was ultimately what I was going to do. But four years ago, I was traveling a ton, um, not just for Hint, but also doing a lot of public speaking nationwide on everything from building my company to being a female entrepreneur. And oftentimes I would get these questions from the audience and almost statements about me like, um, of course, you've never had any failures. You're very resilient. You are super confident. And I think one day, a couple of years ago, I, I sort of, you know, thought, gosh, is that what I look like? Do I look like I haven't really, you know, had doubts or stories of doubters, you know, no one's following you at 3am when you wake up in a right, cold sweat, right? Right. Yeah. And you know, so many things, everything from again, being totally knowing what I was doing and tech to knowing nothing and, and every, waking up and sort of leading with the, you can't make this up every single day. I just, and it was almost like, I just felt like there was just this misunderstanding about me, but also misunderstanding maybe about a lot of entrepreneurs that I had met along the way too. And so, but through this journal, I would continue writing other stories, probably because I would get bored with like one story that I had, because I had so many, sure. I would keep thinking like, oh, why did you think that you could uh, risk things to go do it? And I would just start writing. I would almost give myself prompts to do that. And then about a year and a half ago, I knew a handful of authors and I just started kind of networking with them and saying, listen, I've got this, I've got this, you know, group of notes about 600 pages and I'm thinking about putting it into some kind of format so because I think it'll help a lot of people yeah. because I would get, I would also do these talks and then people would reach out to me on email or LinkedIn or whatever and say, wow, you really helped me to see things just by telling your story. Right. And so I, I think like that. So at that point, I, you know, I had decided, okay, I'm going to do it. I wasn't calling myself an author though. <laughs> and then I went and, you know, found a publisher and, and, uh, and I think that the hardest thing about actually publishing the book for me was very similar to how I launched this company. I did it a different way. I had no, mm -hmm. I, you know, I didn't know, I didn't write an outline. I, I had all these pages already written. And so, I mean, I, that's really unusual. Um, but in many ways it was good because I could actually, oftentimes, I guess, when you go and take a book in to be published, they, um, you know, they sort of say, we want to turn it this way, or we want yeah. you to go in this direction. My direction was, here it is, you it's know, done. this is, yeah, it's, it's almost done, done with is, a little bit of work. Yeah. Yeah. And so the editing it down. So there mm -hmm. were so many stories. How that you turn 600 get, pages into 200. Yeah. I had to get so, cut. Yeah. And so I had to cut a ton of stories. So sometimes, you know, I've told, shared so many stories 
uh, that weren't in the book that were cut or else I've got another book. We got another book. Yeah, you got part two. Absolutely. Yeah, I've got part two of it. But the key for me in ultimately wanting to do it, and and frankly, I mean, just since I launched October 20th, I mean, I would have written this book way sooner if I would have known that it would have helped lots of people. I mean, here I am for the last 15 years loving what I'm doing because I'm actually helping people to get healthier. Mm -hmm. And so many ways, the book is actually helping people to go do what they want to do, call it passion, call it purpose, whatever, Um, just get out of the gate and sort of, and, and kind of look at things like, you know, it's okay to fear. It's okay to, or to have fear. It's okay to fail. It's okay to have doubts. We all do. And I think it's also kind of bringing up this other topic that, um, that frankly, I had never really thought about. I, I certainly heard it uh, when I would be out speaking, but authentic leadership. And, mm-hmm. and I think coming off of 2020, right. uh, I, I think it's so key that people are really responding to me as saying, gosh, you're, you know, showing all your warts and all mm-hmm. like you're really yeah. you know saying that you've got the successful company but it wasn't always easy and i really think that there's a lot of leaders that have the exact same challenges and the ones that are really uh, magnetic and and that people ultimately want to follow and employees want to work um, at those companies are mm-hmm. you have to have a great product or service but Assuming you've got all that, the rest of this, I think, is really key. And and I think it what's probably the hardest thing, frankly, is that there I think people want to be themselves. I don't sure. think people want, but you you start, it's almost like you've got to get out of the habit yeah. of being this, you know, if you're not currently living authentically. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It, like then, yeah, well, then yeah, you gotta I, get out of the habit and it's hard. Yeah. And I gravitate towards the people that I like. I mean, I, I love your product and I've gotten to know you and I really enjoy our interaction that we've had prior to today, you know, firing you a text message on Thanksgiving. Hey, we're all drinking hit water and you respond. And then, you know, the coffee I drink, the beverages, the food, it's the people. And I think that more now than ever we do, you're, 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 you're spot on in my opinion is that we, we want to latch on to authentic people that we love, that we trust um, I mean, if, if I really like someone's product, but the guy in charge of it was just a jerk, I probably wouldn't drink the product or yeah. eat it or what have you. I would just, I would go with the people. There's so many options out there that we yeah. need to make sure that, you know, well, the story behind the story. Yeah, exactly. With social is, media and everything yeah. else. A hundred percent. And I think that's, I think that's so true. And yeah. it's, uh, and I mean, it's a necessity that is, um, is really I mean, I, I don't know, like people, I've had people say to me, how did you make the decision to actually start, you know, sharing your story? And I'm like, we didn't have any money to mm-hmm. like, I, I mean, I would share my stories because I would go into buyers and try and convince them to put a new category on the shelf. And they'd say, why? And yeah. I'd say, well, I'll tell you why. And I'd share, share that story. But, but now it's like the only brands that'll be successful are the ones that, you know, tell stories. I'm right. Okay. You know, yeah, I, I'm in, yeah, yeah. you know, that's what, but anyway. Well, that's the thing. We, we latch onto stories. We learn the most great leaders tell great stories. I've used those words on this podcast before and in a lot of conversations. And 
I have the the honor of talking to great leaders every day, not just on the podcast, but in the work that I do with family companies and entrepreneurs around the world. And ultimately, the ones that I remember are the ones that have that great story, and they are just real. People, mm -hmm. as I say in air quotes here, for those that are just listening, those who get it. Mm -hmm. And you can tell when someone gets it and someone doesn't get it. So I mean, we have a couple of minutes and I, I know you have a, a, another thing here in a few minutes, as do I, but I want to get a couple of questions out there for you if I could. Um, we'll finish with a couple of things, you know, how to get your book and how to reach you. And we'll do that in a second. But can you talk about one doubt that stands out to you that you've overcome? I mean, the title of the book, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, a doubt that you've had that you've overcome that might inspire someone listening today. Yeah, I, I think maybe, gosh, so many doubts along sure. the way, but I think probably just actually launching a company. I mean, that to me 15 years ago would have seemed daunting mm -hmm. like that, that, and, and again, the, how you overcome that ultimately and how I overcame it was I just said, I'm just going to launch a product on the, sh on the shelf at Whole Foods made it seem almost much more containable and doable versus actually going down the road sure. and uh and to say oh i'm gonna go launch a company it's I'm just be in like, all 50 states and crossing borders and everything else now sure. and taking on you know the big soda giants all the mm -hmm. things that people use today to sort of describe hint and me and everything else i think that the way that I was able to ultimately go out and do it and sort of manage that doubt. Uh, and I certainly had them, but, and it is really just to kind of tackle it by actually making it smaller in your, in your mind. I'm just mm. going to go, I'm just going to go yeah. get in my car, go down the street and see what it's going to take. And yeah. the other thing about doing that too is that you see that you start to make progress when you break it down and you've got, you know, little wins along the way. Okay. I found the right guy at Whole Foods to, you know, go bother about me <laughs> launching this product. And then I, you know, made a few phone calls. Like it's another thing that I often share with people too, that I feel are getting overwhelmed is that these don't give yourself too big of a list right? To do, yeah. just have these little wins along the way. Um, and, and even if you've gotten all those things done, the couple of things that you needed to get done today, maybe you continue to just do those things that aren't on the list, yeah. right? And go, and then you're like, oh, I, I actually got a lot of those things done. Because if you feel like you're accomplishing stuff along the way, that you'll ultimately do a lot more and you'll be more excited and all of that going along with it. I'm having an aha right now, and maybe I'm the only one, but I doubt it. But the aha I'm having is I tend to think big because I've always been told, think big, you know, think about mm -hmm. all the things you can do in this grandiose organization and this impact you can make around the world. And yeah, those are great things to be thinking about. What I'm hearing you say, at least the words that I'm interpreting from your yeah. mouth through the airwaves to my heart is think little. Think about just getting your, your product on that one shelf at that one store in San Francisco or think about that one person who might read my book, or think about the person who might buy the t-shirts that I'm making in my garage, rather than it turning into this billion dollar company or this $150 million beverage company. Yeah. Think, think little, think a step at a time. I think we get overwhelmed. I do. Yeah. I get overwhelmed no, totally. when I think big. Yeah, so, totally. And I, so thank and, you. 
Yeah, for that. no, yeah. definitely. And I think it's, it's an important, you know, it's an important piece for people to think about because I do think that it's, it's, you know, you've got the think big, but I, I also think that the most successful entrepreneurs, they might think big, but they don't know how to, or I should say that the least successful entrepreneurs are the ones that might think big, but they don't know how to execute. Yeah. Right. They don't know how to. And that's why I always share with people that, you know, there's ideas are a dime a dozen. And sure. but the actual execution that somebody who can actually have the vision, but actually figure out how to execute it or build a team to execute it is that's a successful entrepreneur. And so in order to do that, you've really got to be able to take these little steps along the way. That doesn't go with sure. Um, with maybe eventually you'll get to uh, to having that big idea. Sure. Um, but you've got to have these little wins along the way and little steps that actually happen in order to make that happen. Is there a mentor out there that you still? I know you've talked about some before. There's some in your book, but are there mentors that today you would pick up the phone and call today and say, "Hey, I'm in a in a in a rut or I'm in a situation." Can we chat? Somebody famous or not famous that you lean on a lot? I don't know about lean on a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's it. I, I get so much inspiration from reading. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm constantly sure. reading and listening to, to um, books as well as podcasts. And yeah, I'm constantly like reading about these people. And that's where I gain tons of inspiration. I, you know, different, I, I also feel like no one mentor is going to kind of give you everything you there's need. There's so many I different mean, parts of life. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's many of the people who are on my book have been people that have kind of played a part in, in my yeah. life and I've admired, but I always laugh because people are like, do you meet with a monthly or weekly? Hmm, yeah. And John um, legend, are you guys like hanging out yeah. together? Well, or stuff? Yeah, John, so. John's an investor in our company. Right. And, um, Actually, I owe him an email about something, but nice. I, uh, but tell him that I really love this song with Carrie Underwood. I've been listening to it over and over. Hallelujah. It is a good yeah, song, right? Awesome. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, the thing about like Jamie Dimon, for example, mm -hmm. I had met him um, at a dinner. I didn't even know who he was. And we were, and we ended up talking. He um, is a cancer survivor and we ended up talking about, uh, cancer and health. And yeah. I was, I wasn't talking to him about finance, but when I ultimately, um, learned sort of by accident who he was, when he handed me his business card after I was talking about hint and he had never heard about it. And he said, uh, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to try it. It seems like everybody at dinner really likes it a lot. Mm -hmm. And I sent it to him and he hands me his, his business card. Um, then uh, reached back out to me after he tried it. He said, this is really great. I think it's great that you're really focused on health. And mm -hmm. because again, health was so important well, to start him, of it was too. right? After, yeah. after going through cancer and right. he was, um, you know, it was, it was personal. And for him, he thought what I was talking about around, you know, sugar feeding into cancers yeah. and you know, not really understanding how your body reacts to different things that you put into it and all that. I mean, it just made sense to him. And so now, I mean, as we started to go through different um, financings, uh, he's been enormously helpful uh, on just like, I mean, the guy probably runs somewhere, the world economy. And exactly, he's talking yeah. to me about like, should I do debt? 
should I do, you know, how should I think about this overall? And, but, and I would say he's, you know, he's been a mentor, but I also share with people that I'm really careful about using people's time. Right. Sure, and absolutely. I think that you have to really understand um, what, what questions you have. Cause I think like that is something that the, the people that really you want their advice, they just don't have time most of the time. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so you have to really figure out, you know, what you really want out of them. And, but yeah. So no pun intended or some, I can take a hint, by the way, you're <laughs> hinting that it, our time is up. So I'm eating up your time, but no, this has been great. I, there's so many places that we could still go. And uh, genuinely, I do hope that we can talk again yeah, um, on the podcast and also just, uh, just socially. I, I really enjoy your story. I love your book. I love what you're doing. You're an inspiration to me. And I know you're inspiring a lot of others all over the world with with your podcast, The Care Golden Show, which I know you have like 105 guests or something like that now. And I'm coming it's up on there. 50 on mine. And I've been inspired by the guests and you as I listen and certainly your book. And, and like I said, we're, we're um, loyal hint drinkers now in the heart household. And, and we'll continue to not only promote and drink it, but tell everybody about it. What's awesome. the best way for my, my audience to reach you? Uh, probably just on social. It's Kara Golden with an I, and I'm all over all social channels. So definitely uh, let me know what you uh, what you think. Hopefully, you'll get a chance to read the book, and uh, I'd be um, uh, delighted to meet you. I love that, and I will put a link um, on on the show notes here to the book and to your show and all the other ways that people can reach you. So. I prepared you for this last question. As you know, the name of the show is From the Heart. And so the final question I ask all of my guests is simply, Kara Golden, what's in your heart? My heart is to go out and live this, this life with a, a heart of of trying somebody that goes and tries and and uh and is open to experiences and um and just doing the best i can 